In light of the coronavirus situation that's global, our president has asked for a national day of prayer today. And so prayer is a, is a, a burden on my wife's heart, so I've asked her if she would lead us in a prayer. Um, if you would stand as I read the word and as I pray, because our standing is going to represent that we're standing in unity, we're believers, we're Christians, right. we are going to raise up a standard against the enemy, okay? The Lord led me, Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 13 through 15, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people. But if my people who are called by my name, how many are called by his name? Yes. If my people, we're talking to the Christians, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Humble. What's that? We don't know it. Let God show you how you can humble yourself. Well, humble yourself and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways. He's talking to Christians. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. Isn't that awesome? Yes. So God, we lift up right now our nation, our president. God, we ask godly counsel around him, a hedge of protection around him. God, do a work on our national government. Give them wisdom, give provision. You take care of things. God, we pray for our, our government in the state as our schools around here now have closed and and God, we're just asking you to stop and protect and do a work. But God, you've got our attention. And we humble ourselves before you. Because God, we know the word is to trust you and to surrender to you. Because you've got this. You've got this. Lord, we pray for our um, medical profession, God, that are just working overtime right now. We ask, God, that you will do a work with the medical profession. Protect them and give them guidance and direction in all they do. Lord, I pray for the anxiety and the fears that are raising and those that have no hope and, and that's trying to even attach to the Christians that do have hope. That, God, that anxiety and that fear will not keep raising its head and drawing us into it. But, Father, you will give us victory. Yes. You will give us that victory. Mm-hmm. And, Lord, we want to pray over uh, protection over our elderly and those that are vulnerable and susceptible to this, this uh, virus. And, God, we ask you to just raise up comfort and strength within them and help them not to fear or be afraid. Protect them, Father. Protect them. God, you got our attention. You got our attention, oh, God. Yes, God. Lord, let your peace follow in our hearts. Let victory 
follow in our hearts. Yes, yes. And God, we pray in the name of Jesus, and we stand in solidarity this day in this church, with churches around the community, whether they're online or they're together. God, we stand together in unity for our country, for our nation. We stand in unity across Indiana, across all of the states, across this world, as we are standing in solidarity, asking God for you to involve yourself so deeply into this situation. Stop this in the name of Jesus. Yes. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Did you know that during the Black Plague in Europe, where people were dying by the hundreds and thousands, did you know that it was the church that's recorded in history as the ones who went out and ministered to families and took care of people in their loss and their grief? It was the church. So in this crisis, I want to encourage us to not try to find a safe hole to crawl into. I want to encourage us to look around us. Who are your neighbors? Who are the people that you know and you, you work with? Who are those people that need some peace, some comfort? Maybe somebody to take them a meal when they get, if, they, if they get that sick. It's, this is the time for the church to rise up. This is the time when people who say we have faith can live the faith that we have. Amen? Amen. So I'm not... I've had many viruses. I'm not afraid of getting this thing. What I am afraid of is passing it on to somebody who doesn't have the strength to deal with it. That's what I'm afraid of. So I'm going to keep my hands washed. I'm not going to be shaking hands with people that might have shook hands with somebody else. Okay? I'm trying to, trying to motivate us. I'm trying, let's let the church rise. Amen? Okay, Luke chapter 9. Turn there with me. Luke 9. There's a story here I want us to... To look at. We're, we're beginning a series today that's going to take us right up to Easter, <clears throat> four, four weekends prior to Easter, where we're looking at the steps that Jesus took, the journey that he was on. And we're going to start that journey uh, today in, in Luke chapter 9. Uh, the, uh, the context is Jesus had just had a glorious experience with God up on the mountain, what we call the Mount of Transfiguration where he was there with his a couple of his disciples who slept through most of it. But he had a glorious encounter with God. And when he was there, he had this experience where he met Moses and Elijah. And they had this conversation about his decease. Boy, don't you wish that Peter had stayed awake through that, so he could have told us what the conversation was. I really want to know what was the conversation they had. What were they telling Jesus about his decease before it even happened? But we don't know what was said. Anyway, they had this conversation. And then Jesus came down from the mount and went to Samaria on his way to Jerusalem. And we pick up the story here in uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 57. It says, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, Whoops, I'm not in the right place. 
Oh, I'm supposed to be up here in uh, verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Notice the word time. As the time approached. There is a time for everything. There is a time for him to be taken up. It is a set time. It's fixed. It's in place. When that time was coming, Jesus had to make a decision. There are fixed times in your life and mine. We don't always know when the time is. There's a time for me to be taken up. I got a vacation next week, so I just hope the time would be a little bit, give, give me a chance to get back from vacation, then come back, Lord. I'm, I'm facetious with that. The time. And he says, when the time approached. So it was, he was coming up on the time. If there's a fixed time, then you come approaching it. You, you come up on the time. And time keeps moving on. When the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven. It doesn't say when the time approached for him to be crucified. The time approached for him to be buried. No, it says when the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven. See, the focus is on the good news, not the bad news. There's all kinds of things to be afraid of in this world. There's all kinds of threats, real threats in this world. We thought here in America in the year 2020, we had kind of conquered all our fears, all our, our military enemies are beneath us. They're, we've intimidated them, so we don't have to worry about that. And then this disease comes out of no place. Where'd it come from? No, the Democrats didn't originate it. Keep Trump from getting reelected, no matter what they say, what you read on Facebook. He had the end in mind. The end is the ascension, not the trial. You and I will go through lots of trials in our life, but we've got to keep our eyes on the end, not on the process, not in the middle. We keep our, our eyes on the end. One of these days, we're all going to be caught up to heaven and stand before the Lord for our own judgment. I want to make sure. If something happens to me, that I was found doing God's work. So, when the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He had a goal in mind, and he set his focus on that goal. The New American Standard says, version says, he was determined. I like that. The contemporary English version says he made up his mind. The Message Bible says he gathered up his courage and steeled himself for the journey. I think I like best of all the New King James Version that says he steadfastly set his face toward Jerusalem. He set his face. That means he set his course. It's like a pilot setting the thing on autopilot. He set a direction, he fixed it, and away he went. Didn't let anything sidetrack him. 
He focused on the goal. You know why a lion tamer can stand up before a, a, a lion? You know, how, you know why? Because he'll take that stool and he'll hold it out in front of him. That stool has four legs. And the lion sees him coming with that stool and the lion can't determine which one to attack. So he sits there confused, ready to defend himself, but he doesn't know which leg of that chair to grab a hold of. He's confused. What you and I need to do is quit looking at all the legs out there that, that sidetrack us. We need to be focused on the main thing. Jesus was focused on the main thing. I have to go to Jerusalem because that's where I need to go to ascend, to get to heaven. Somebody say amen. So the, the blank there is resolve. He was resolved. And you and I have to come to some resolve in our life. We can't just let, keep letting things that pop up in the economy and, and in the health field and, and troubles on my job and this and that and the other thing. We can't keep getting distracted on all these other things. We need to stay focused on the main thing. The main thing is staying right with God. That's the main thing. So resolve, making our mind up. Here's the second part of the story I want us to see in verses 52 and 53. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. This is the rejection. This is point two, the rejection. He sent messengers ahead to get things ready. You know, just like Billy Graham did before he would go to a city and have a big crusade, he had a team of people that got to the, to the city beforehand and planned the promotion. They planned the meeting place and how they were going to host everything and how all the pieces would fit together. He sent a team ahead. So when Billy Graham got to town, all he had to do was walk up to the platform and give people the word. So Jesus was sending this preparatory team ahead to get things ready. And when, he, when, they, when they tried to get things ready, they found out the people did not want him coming there because he set his face toward Jerusalem. And they could see that he was headed for Jerusalem. You see, this took place in Samaria. Samaria had their own holy mount. They had their own place to go. Mount Gerizim, they worshiped there, and they knew the Orthodox Jews worshiped in Jerusalem. So this was a problem. They let their traditions get in the way, and they didn't want to hear what Jesus had to say. The people of, of this Samaritan village felt rejected by Jesus because he was not going to Mount Gerizim, he was heading for Jerusalem. So they felt rejected. And whenever you feel rejected, the natural reaction is to reject the person who just rejected you. And so it makes sense that the disciples would want to reject the people in Samaria because they just rejected Jesus. There's a problem here. 
And Jesus is teaching his disciples how to deal with this kind of a problem, this rejection issue. They didn't understand the master's mission. The Samaritans didn't, and neither did his disciples. John chapter 12, verse 47 says, If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. That's the main thing. This is why Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem, and he didn't let anything sidetrack him. Nothing got in his way. He's heading for Jerusalem because he didn't come to judge this world that's rejecting him. He came to this world to save the world. And you and I in the church today need to recognize this is still the Lord's purpose. Not to judge a sinful world, but to save a sinful world. This is His purpose. Which takes us to the third part, and we're going to spend most of our time on that. And that's the rebuke. Let's look at verses 54 and 55 together. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, the rejection, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and destroy them, to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. I love this, because Jesus is always teaching. Always teaching. I think this is amazing. James and John had enough faith to actually believe they could call down fire to destroy these people. That's, that's good faith. I mean, when you believe you can call fire down from heaven to destroy somebody, that's having a lot of faith to believe that, that God will actually work through you and do such a thing. So let's think this through before we're too quick to reject them or their, their beliefs. In 2 Kings chapter 1, there's an interesting story about King uh, Ahazia. Uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce that name. Ahaziah. And he was upset with the prophet Elijah. So he sent out a captain with 50 soldiers to go out and arrest Elijah and bring him back so that they could take care of the deal because they did not like. It was demoralizing to the people that Elijah would give a prophecy about how God was not happy with the people and he's going to bring judgment. So God, people didn't like that. So he says, we're going to deal with this prophet. We're going to silence this word. So the 50 soldiers all get there And the captain says, we're under orders to arrest you and take you back to the king. And Elijah called down fire from heaven. Fire come down from heaven and destroyed the captain and his 50 soldiers. So when the king finds out, he sends out another captain and 50 soldiers. When that captain and 50 soldiers get there, they tell Elijah, the king sent us to arrest you. And Elijah says, fire fall down. And fire fell again, consumed that captain and 50 soldiers. So the king sends out another captain and 50 soldiers. 
they show up to do the same thing. I mean, somebody ought to get a hint pretty soon. But when that captain and 50 soldiers showed up, this captain goes up to Elijah, falls on his knees, and he says, we're under orders to arrest you. Please have respect for my life and the lives of my soldiers. Please have respect for us. And Elijah said, okay, let's go. And they went to deal with the king. You see, that story was in James and John's mind. Call down fire to deliver us. So that was in their mind. But they're taking the scripture out of context. They weren't calling down fire to preserve the word. They were calling down fire because of their rejection. Because they got hurt. That's why they're calling down fire. You see, calling down fire to destroy your enemies is not a spiritual gift. I think some people sometimes think it is. Jesus came to save the lost world. In spite of rejection, he hasn't taken his eyes off Jerusalem. He didn't get discouraged and demoralized because of the rejection. And you and I should not be discouraged and demoralized when somebody makes us a promise and doesn't keep it. Or somebody says they're going to do something and they don't do it. The true fire of God saves souls, doesn't destroy them. We need to call down the true fire of God upon ourselves, not on those we want to hurt. Jesus said, I am come to send a fire on the earth. James and John misunderstood what he was talking about. The fire he was talking about is talked about in Luke chapter 3, verse 16. It says, John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, and the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. When we have an encounter with Jesus Christ, He will light a fire inside of us that won't go out. It'll be blazing on the inside, and we'll just have this earnest desire to do what God wants us to do, to hear God again, to be filled with that fire one more time. That's the fire He wants to put inside of us. So James and John says, Do you want us to call down fire and destroy them right now? That'll teach him a lesson. And Jesus turned. It says that right there in your text. He turned. You see, he's got his face set toward Jerusalem. Nothing sidetracking him, but this did. The one thing that gets his attention more than what he's going to be doing in, in, in Jerusalem at the cross, the one thing that gets his attention more than that is discipling his disciples. To teach them how to function. Because he's not always going to be here. So he wants to teach his disciples. So he turned. 
and spoke to him. Now, the New International Version leaves some words out that the King James Version leaves in. Somebody put a post on Facebook just last week, I noticed that. And they were criticizing the New International Version because they left these out. But the truth is, most modern translations leave these verses out, not just the NIV. And there's a reason for that. You see, the modern translations that we have, <clears throat> including the King James Version, they all come from some ancient documents that have been discovered. And there are a couple of groupings of them. And some of them have minor variations because the way you made a new copy back then was handwritten. And if you had to sit down at the desk and write out the Bible word for word, I'm guessing you'd make a few little mistakes there along the way. So when some ancient, these ancient documents leave a line out, but these put it in, the translators then have to look at the ancient documents and they have to decide, do, does this belong or does it not belong? And they have to make some judgment calls along the way because there are several old documents. And this is, what, this is what's happened there in this account. And the trans, modern English translators are saying, the evidence implies that these lines don't belong in there, so they left it out. My philosophy has always been, if it's in there, don't take it out. If it doesn't change the teaching of the Bible, leave it in there. So, we got on the screen what the New King James Version has, the, the documents that does have this verse in there. John answered them all. No, that's not it. It's, uh, it's Luke 9, 55, 56. You have that? There we go. But he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you're of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. You don't know what spirit you're of. The Son of Man, me, the Redeemer, the Son of Man, Jesus says, came to save, not destroy. Makes it clear. And that doesn't change, the, that doesn't change what we believe in any place, because these, these verses are found elsewhere in the Bible. So it really doesn't change anything, whether it's in there or whether it's not. So we need to ask God to send down fire on us, not on them. The disciples were showing zeal without knowledge. You see, I've, I've known Christians who had a lot of zeal, they just didn't have a lot of knowledge. They were, they were willing to do great things for God, but they just didn't know what the Word taught. So they got things cockeyed. They got their, their religious philosophy a little bit warped, having zeal, but not knowing the Word. So God, help us know the Word, what the Word says. Because an eye for an eye makes us both blind. 
So if they reject me and I reject them in return, nobody wins. Jesus told a parable that kind of fits in, in line here. We call it the, the parable of the tares and the wheat. So they went out and looked at the wheat field, and they found out somebody had sowed a bunch of tares, which are weeds. They, they look kind of like wheat, but you can't eat them. So out in the field, there's, there's plenty of wheat, but there's all kinds of tares growing in there with them. And they said, an, an enemy did this. Shall we go out there and pull the tares up? And the master said, no, 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 because if you do that, you're going to damage the wheat. So let's just leave the, the tares grow along with the wheat, and then when we harvest, we'll separate it. When the harvest comes, then we'll make a de determination which is wheat and which is the tares. And he's talking about people who have a relationship with God versus people who think they have a relationship with God. Like what we're seeing in Samaria. People rejecting the message because they think they have a better way. So they're rejecting the Messiah, rejecting the Redeemer, rejecting the Savior. When you have people that you're trying to win to Christ and you're trying to influence them and you're trying to, to pray for them and uh, sow a seed in their life and they reject the message, don't destroy them because they reject your message. Let them grow up side by side with with people that do have the message. And when the harvest comes, when the judgment comes, it'll all be made right. It'll all be sorted out. So we just keep giving people the good news, the good news, the good news. And we give people grace. Notice Jesus' attitude toward the people that rejected him. Grace. Grace, not judgment. So he turned away from his primary mission to straighten the disciples out so they would understand so that they could go in the right direction. And I think the church of Jesus Christ today needs to be a place of grace. Place of grace. This is not the day of judgment. This is the day of grace. But the world doesn't know that. So God repeatedly allows things to come into this world to shake people up. I believe coronavirus is one of those things that God has allowed to come into this world to shake us up. Last time I firmly believe God sent something in, allowed something to come into the world to shake us up was 9-11. And it was amazing how many people showed up in church the next weekend. But within a month, they were gone. God knows that. He knows he's got to come up with something else to shake people up. So, we're the church. We're the church that God uses to bring salvation into people's lives, not destruction. We don't preach the bad news. We preach the good news. Bad news is going to come by itself. We live in a fallen world. Somebody has got to be different and share the good news. That Jesus Christ will save our soul. We're all going to die sooner or later. 
So none of us are going to escape it. The question is, how are we going to live it in the meantime till that time comes? So what do we do? How do we deal with it? In verse 56, this is how we deal with rejection. And he, is, he and his disciples went to another village. He doesn't want to destroy that village. He wants to go where he's welcomed. He wants to go where the good news is. He wants to go where people are receptive. I want, I want to speak to people who want to hear what I have to say. If somebody doesn't want to hear what I have to say, they want to keep straightening me out, then I don't want to be there. I want to go over here where people want to hear what I got to say. I want to go to a place that's receptive. This is the principle uh, of people of peace. That's a, that's a term found in the NIV. People of peace are people who are receptive. Maybe they're not ready, but they're receptive. They're not rejecting. They'll hear it. That's a person of peace. The people you want to talk to are people of peace. Maybe they're not ready to accept Christ yet, but they're not your enemy. They're not trying to silence you. They don't see you as a, as a negative thing. They're just not ready. So we want to look for people of peace. We don't go to people who want to pick a fight. We go to people who are receptive, people of peace. So what do you do when you're rejected? You go to another village. What do you do when somebody gives you a hard time on the job when you talk about faith and the good news? You go to somebody else. You don't stop. You go to somebody else. You just go to the next village. Jesus, I, I believe Jesus didn't lose one minute of sleep at night worrying about the people that rejected him. He just went to the people that would accept him. I think we'd sleep better if we weren't so worried about people rejecting us. We weren't so worried about people who didn't like us. If we weren't so worried about people that just think different than us. I want to be able to go to sleep and sleep good because I know it's me and God and everything's okay. Is everything okay with you and God? There's an old hymn we used to sing, It is well with my soul. We like to sing it at funerals. We say, it is well with my soul, but it's appropriate first thing in the morning. It's appropriate last thing before you go to bed. It is well, it is well with my soul. The rest of the world is in chaos. The rest of the world is in panic trying to find toilet paper, but it is well <laughs> with my soul. Is it well with your soul? You have to ask that. You have to ask that because God has set up this current crisis to get us to evaluate, reevaluate our lives. Is it well with our soul? If I should get that bug and die, is it well with my soul? Then let's not wait till we're ready to die. Let's make it right with our soul right now. Right now. Heavenly Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. Father, we've we're taking a risk right now coming to this place because we believe that the church is all about community. It's all about family, and we need each other. And so we've come here together taking a risk. 
Father, we know that you're going to watch over us. You're going to protect us. We put our lives in your hands. And Father, if there's anyone here who hasn't put our life in your hands, their life in your hands, I pray that this would be the time when they do that, that they would just surrender the control thing, that they have to be in control of their life. Father, just help them to yield that to you. Father, that you will put your arms around them, that you will embrace them. God, we are your people. You are our God. You watch over us, and no weapon formed against us can prosper when we're in your hands. So, Father, we just re-surrender our life. Whatever's going to happen, God, we know that you got it. You got this, that it's going to be okay. So, Lord, strengthen us for the journey. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. I want to challenge you. You know the panic, the fear that's all around us in the, neighbor, in the neighborhood. You know that. If you don't know that, go to Walmart this afternoon. <laughs> and you'll see it in people's faces. This, this panic. I'm, I'm going to die without my toilet paper. We are to be people with confidence. Amen? God's given us confidence. We should have a different look on our face. We should have a different attitude in our mind. Let's be the church. Amen? Amen. We'll have some prayer partners that won't, they won't touch you, but they'll pray for you. If you want prayer, be sure to bring it here. Go with God. He loves you more than you'll ever know.